0: Chapter Five of A Sportsman's Sketches. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, auto volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Tavarish A Sportsman's Sketches by Ivan Turgenev, translated by Constance Garnett. My neighbor Radilov. For the autumn woodcocks often take refuge in old gardens of lime trees there are a good many such gardens among us in the province of Aurel. our forefathers when they selected a place for habitation invariably marked out two acres of good ground for a fruit garden with avenues of lime trees within the last fifty or seventy years at most these mansions noblesmen's nests as they call them have gradually disappeared off the face of the earth the houses are falling to pieces or have been sold for the building materials the stone outhouses have become piles of rubbish the apple-trees are dead and turned into firewood the hedges and fences are pulled up only the lime-trees grow in all their glory as before and with ploughed fields all round them tell a tale to the slight-hearted generation of our fathers and brothers who have lived before us A magnificent tree is such an old line tree. Even the merciless axe of the Russian peasant spares it. Its leaves are small, its powerful limbs spread wide in all directions, there is perpetual shade under them. Once, as I was wandering about the fields after partridges with Yermolai, I saw some way off a deserted garden and turned into it. I had hardly crossed its borders when a snipe rose up out of a bush with a clatter. I fired my gun, and at the same instant, a few paces from me, I heard a shriek. The frightened face of a young girl peeped out for a second from behind the trees and instantly disappeared. Yermalai ran up to me. Why are you shooting here? There is a landowner living here before i had time to answer him before my dog had had time to bring me with dignified importance the bird i had shot swift footsteps were heard and a tall man with moustache came out of the thicket and stopped with an air of displeasure before me i made my apologies as best i could gave him my name and offered him the bird that had been killed on his domains very well he said to me with a smile i will take your game but only on one condition that you will stay and dine with us i must confess i was not greatly delighted at his proposition but it was impossible to refuse i am a landowner here and your neighbor radilov perhaps you have heard of me continued my dear acquaintance today is sunday and we shall be sure to have a decent dinner otherwise i would not have invited you i made such a reply as one does make in such circumstances and turned to follow him A little path that had lately been cleared soon led us out of the grove of lime trees we came into the kitchen garden between the old apple trees and gooseberry bushes were rows of curly whitish green cabbages the hop twined its tendrils round high poles there were thick ranks of brown twigs tangled over with dried peas large flat pumpkins seemed rolling on the ground cucumbers showed yellow under their dusty angular leaves tall nettles were waving along the hedge in two or three places grew clumps of tartar honeysuckle elder and wild rose the remnants of former flower beds near a small fish pond full of reddish and slimy water we saw the well surrounded by puddles ducks were busily splashing and waddling about these puddles A dog blinking and twitching in every limb was gnawing a bone in the meadow, where a piebald cow was lazily chewing the grass, from time to time flicking its tail over its lean back. The little path turned to one side. From behind thick willows and birches we caught sight of a little grey old house with a bordered roof and a winding flight of steps. Radilov stopped short. But, he said with a good-humoured and direct look in my face, on second thoughts perhaps you don't care to come and see me after all in that case i did not allow him to finish but assured him that on the contrary it would be a great pleasure to me to dine with him well you know best we went into the house a young man in a long coat of stout blue cloth met us on the steps radilov at once told him to bring yermolai some vodka My huntsman made a respectful bow to the back of the munificent host. From the hall, which was decorated with various party-coloured pictures and check curtains, we went into a small room, Radilov's study. I took off my hunting accoutrements and put my gun in a corner. The young man in the long-skirted coat busily brushed me down. "'Well, now let us go into the drawing-room,' said Radilov cordially. "'I will make you acquainted with my mother.' I walked after him. In the drawing-room, in the sofa, in the centre of the room, was sitting an old lady of medium height, in a cinnamon-coloured dress, and a white cap, with a thinnish, kind old face, and a timid, mournful expression. Here, mother, let me introduce to you our neighbour. The old lady got up, and made me a bow, not letting go out of her withered hands a fat worsted ridicule that looked like a sack have you been long in our neighbourhood she asked in a weak and gentle voice blinking her eyes no not long do you intend to remain here long till the winter i think the old lady said no more and here interposed radilov indicating to me a tall and thin man whom i had not noticed on entering the drawing-room is Fyodor Mikheyevich. Come, Fedya, give the visitor a specimen of your art. Why have you hidden yourself away in that corner? Fyodor Mikheyevich got up at once from his chair, fetched a wretched little fiddle from the window, took the bow, not by the end as is usual, but by the middle, put the fiddle to his chest, shut his eyes, and fell to dancing, singing a song and scraping on the strings. He looked about seventy a thin nankin overcoat flapped pathetically about his dry and bony limbs he danced at times skipping boldly and then dropping his little bald head with his scraggy neck stretched out as if he were dying stamping his feet on the ground and sometimes bending his knees with obvious difficulty a voice cracked with age came from his toothless mouth radilov must have guessed from the expression of my face that fedya's art did not give me much pleasure very good old man that's enough he said you can go and refresh yourself fedor Mihaly at once laid down the fiddle on the window-sill bowed first to me as the guest then to the old lady then to Radilov, and went away he too was a landowner my new friend continued and a rich one too but he ruined himself uh, so he lives now with me but in his day he was considered the most dashing fellow in the province. He eloped with two married ladies. He used to keep singers and sang himself and danced like a master. But won't you take some vodka? Dinner is just ready. A young girl, the same that I had caught a glimpse of in the garden, came into the room. And here is Olga, observed Rodilov, slightly turning his head. Let me present you well let us go into dinner we went in and sat down to the table while we were coming out of the drawing-room and taking our seats fedor mihich whose eyes were bright and his nose rather red after his refreshment sang raise the cry of victory they laid a separate cover for him in a corner on a little table without a table-napkin the poor old man could not boast of very nice habits and so they always kept him at some distance from society he crossed himself sighed and began to eat like a shark the dinner was in reality not bad and in honour of sunday was accompanied of course with shaking jelly and spanish puffs of pastry at the table radilov who had served ten years in an infantry regiment and had been in turkey fell to telling anecdotes I listened to him with attention and secretly watched Olga. She was not very pretty, but the tranquil and resolute expression of her face, her broad white brow, her thick hair, and especially her brown eyes, not large but clear, sensible and lively, would have made an impression on anyone in my place. She seemed to be following every word Radilov uttered, not so much sympathy as passionate attention was expressed on her face radilov in years might have been her father he called her by her christian name but i guessed at once that she was not his daughter in the course of conversation he referred to his deceased wife her sister he added indicating olga she blushed quickly and dropped her eyes radilov paused a moment and then changed the subject the old lady did not utter a word during the whole of dinner she ate scarcely anything herself and did not press me to partake her features had an air of timorous and hopeless expectation that melancholy of old age which it pieces one's heart to look upon at the end of dinner fedor micheевич was beginning to celebrate the hosts and guests but Radilov looked at me and asked him to be quiet. The old man passed his hand over his lips, began to blink, bowed, and sat down again, but only on the very edge of his chair. After dinner I returned with Radilov to his study. In people who are constantly and intensely preoccupied with one idea or one emotion, there is something in common, a kind of external resemblance in manner however different may be their qualities their abilities their position in society and their education the more i watched radilev the more i felt that he belonged to the class of such people he talked of husbandry of the crops of the war of the gossip of the district and the approaching elections he talked without constraint and even with interest but suddenly He would sigh and drop into a chair and pass his hand over his face like a man wearied out by a tedious task his whole nature a good and warm-hearted one too seemed saturated through steeped in some one feeling i was amazed by the fact that i could not discover in him either a passion for eating nor for wine nor for sport nor for kursk nightingales Nor for epileptic pigeons, nor for Russian literature, nor for trotting hacks, nor for Hungarian coats, nor for cards, nor billiards, nor for dances, nor trips to the provincial town or the capital, nor for paper factories and beet-sugar refineries, nor for painted pavilions, nor for tea, nor for trace horses trained to hold their heads askew, nor even for fat coachmen belted under their very armpits those magnificent coachmen whose eyes for some mysterious reason seem rolling and starting out of their heads at every movement what sort of landowner is this then i thought at the same time he did not in the least pose as a gloomy man discontented with his destiny on the contrary he seemed full of indiscriminating good-will cordial, and even offensive readiness to become intimate with everyone he came across. In reality you felt at the same time that he could not be friends, nor be really intimate with anyone, and that he could not be so, not because in general he was independent of other people, but because his whole being was for a time turned inwards upon himself. Looking at Radilov, I could never imagine him happy, either now or at any time he too was not handsome but in his eyes his smile his whole being there was a something mysterious and extremely attractive yes mysterious is just what it was so that you felt you would like to know him better to get to love him of course at times the landowner and the men of the steppes peeped out in him but all the same he was a capital fellow we were beginning to talk about the new marshal of the district when suddenly we heard olga's voice at the door tea is ready we went into the drawing-room fedor micheitch was sitting as before in his corner between the little window and the door his legs curled up under him Radilov's mother was knitting a stocking from the opened windows came a breath of autumn freshness and the scent of apples olga was busy pouring out tea I looked at her now with more attention than at dinner. Like provincial girls, as a rule, she spoke very little, but at any rate I did not notice in her any of their anxiety to say something fine, together with their painful consciousness of stupidity and helplessness. She did not sigh as though from the burden of unutterable emotions, nor cast up her eyes, nor smile vaguely and dreamily. Her look expressed tranquil self-possession, like a man who is taking breath after great happiness or great excitement. Her carriage and her movements were resolute and free. I liked her very much. I fell again into conversation with Radilov. I don't recollect what brought us to the familiar observation that often the most insignificant things produce more effect on people than the most important yes radilov agreed i have experienced that in my own case i as you know have been married it was not for long three years my wife died in childbirth i thought that i should not survive her i was fearfully miserable broken down but i could not weep i wandered about like one possessed they decked her out as they always do and laid her on a table In this very room the priest came the deacons came began to sing to pray and to burn incense I bowed to the ground and hardly shed a tear my heart seemed turned to stone and my head too I was heavy all over so passed my first day would you believe it I even slept in the night the next morning I went in to look at my wife It was summertime, the sunshine fell upon her from head to foot, and it was so bright. Suddenly I saw—here Rodilov gave an involuntary shudder—what do you think? One of her eyes was not quite shut, and on this eye a fly was moving. I fell down in a heap, and when I came to myself I began to weep and weep. I could not stop myself. Radivov was silent i looked at him then at olga i can never forget the expression of her face the old lady had laid the stocking down on her knees and taken a handkerchief out of her reticule she was stealthily wiping away her tears fedor Mihech suddenly got up seized his fiddle and in a wild and hoarse voice began to sing a song He wanted, doubtless, to restore our spirits, but we all shuddered at his first note, and Radilov asked him to be quiet. "'Still, what is past is past,' he continued. "'We cannot recall the past, and in the end all is for the best in this world below, as I think Voltaire said,' he added, hurriedly. "'Yes,' I replied, "'of course.' Besides, every trouble can be endured, and there is no position so terrible that there is no escape from it.' "'Do you think so?' said Radilov. "'Well, perhaps you are right. I recollect I lay once in the hospital in Turkey half dead. I had typhus fever. Well, our quarters were nothing to boast of, of course in time of war, and we had to thank God for what we had. Suddenly they bring in more sick.' where are they to put them the doctor goes here and there there is no room left so he comes up to me and asks the attendant is he alive he answers he was alive this morning the doctor bends down listens i am breathing the good man could not help saying well what an absurd constitution the man's dying he is certain to die and he keeps hanging on lingering taking up space for nothing and keeping out others well i thought to myself so you are in a bad way mihal and after all i got well and am alive still now as you may see for yourself you are right to be sure in any case i am right i replied even if you had died you would just the same have escaped from your horrible position. Of course, of course, he added with a violent blow of his fist on the table. One has only to come to a decision. What is the use of being in a horrible position? What is the good of delaying and lingering? Olga rose quickly and went out into the garden. Well, Fedya, a dance, cried Radilov. Fedye jumped up and walked about the room with that artificial and peculiar motion which is affected by the man who plays the part of a goat with a tame bear. He sang meanwhile, while at our gates. The rattle of a racing droshki sounded in the drive, and in a few minutes a tall, broad-shouldered and stoutly made man, the peasant proprietor of sianikov came into the room. But Avsenikov is such a remarkable and original personage that, with the reader's permission, we will put off speaking about him till the next sketch. And now I will only add for myself that the next day I started off hunting at earliest dawn with Yermolai and returned home after the day's sport was over. That a week later I went again to Radilov's, but did not find him or Olga at home, and within a fortnight I learned... That he had suddenly disappeared left his mother and gone away somewhere with his sister-in-law the whole province was excited and talked about this event and i only then completely understood the expression of olga's face while radilov was telling us his story it was breathing not with sympathetic suffering only it was burning with jealousy before leaving the country I called on an old madame Radilov. I found her in the drawing-room. She was playing cards with Ferdinand Michiech. Have you news of your son? I asked her at last. The old lady began to weep. I made no more inquiries about Radilov. End of My Neighbor Radilov